0: In the, in the early to mid-1990s, Jenny and I were, Jenny and I belonged to a medium-sized church that didn't have a lot of programming, didn't have a lot of things going on, and so we started the first ever children's ministry team. Actually, Jenny did that, I don't get any credit for it. Um, 12 women and me on this team, because we did Sunday mornings, Sunday nights, and Wednesday nights, so we needed a lot of kids leaders and kids volunteers. And that particular year, Jenny was starting an inclusion classroom, which meant that she would have special needs kids in her classroom, and that needed more time and attention from her. And also that year, I was starting to research my thesis, and so both of us needed to step back and we were really worried about what would happen and the church stepped in and said, you know what, we're just gonna hire a children's ministry director to kind of give leadership and do some of the, you know, follow through type things and we were really excited. And so, uh, and the person they hired, uh, I'll call him Wayne. Wayne was the husband of one of the women on the team. And Jenny and I were excited. Every Sunday, we would have this kind of 20-minute powwow where we would talk about the week and what went on and, and, and what things we needed to change. And one of the first things that happened was that meeting went away. And I remember asking Wayne, and, and I said, well, Wayne, you know, what happened to the meeting? And this is what he said, and some of you will be, okay, but this is actually what he said. Max, I don't need to pull a room full of women to make a decision. And I thought, ooh, ouch, okay. Um, and then a couple of weeks later, uh, I still taught a class on Sunday night, so a, families were coming to me and saying, you know, Wayne, talked to us about this class that you're doing, and I was doing a class in Genesis, and it was for fourth and fifth graders, and I was trying to set them up for what they would learn in school so that they would see that science and the Bible aren't enemies, right? So that was my main goal, that was driving me. And he was saying to people on the side, you know, you can't trust that Max Vanderpool, you know, he's not really, he doesn't believe in the Bible. And so, I still had to talk to Wayne, but I found that when I was talking to Wayne, how I talked to him changed, right? Those, two, those things changed our relationship. And, and so, all of a sudden, instead of seeing Wayne, this amazing father, this and he was, he was a great dad, he loved his wife like no tomorrow, instead of seeing that, all I could see about Wayne was, Man, you're a jerk, man you're you know and I, and so anytime I talked to him I would get, it would get my dander up, and so the the nature of our relationship determined how I approached wayne and and to be honest, I didn't trust him I, I've got a friend my age right now, so uh, according to the kids in G town, my age is old enough to die, so my friend's old <laughs> enough to die so uh but 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 she still to this day finds it very difficult to talk to her mom. So growing up, uh, are, you're going to wear that? You're going to wear that in public? Like, why do I bother shopping with you? Um, she got a B-plus once in high school, and mom totally zoned in on that. What's this B-plus? Like, and then there was always the, why can't you be like your brother, the perfect score ACT brother? Why can't you be like him? And so... Um, When she got married, her mom totally disapproved of the man that she married. By the way, they're still married. It's been 20-some years, right? Like, they they love each other pretty well. and But mom, so whenever her screen lights up and turns green and she sees that it's mom, she, she tenses up because she's expecting in that conversation some criticism, some questions. So the nature of her relationship with her mother affects how she talks to her, and how often she talks to her. Uh, And so that's one of the first things that I wanna tell you today. I'm talking about prayer, and the nature of the relationship determines how you talk to somebody. If it's a friend that you can trust, if it's a friend where you can be yourself, you're gonna be open. You're gonna want to talk to that person. But if if it's a jerk, if it's somebody who you feel has wronged you on a number of levels, you're not gonna wanna really talk to them that much. You're, in fact, you're probably gonna want to avoid them and what's true of human relationships is true with our relationship with God. This is why teenagers, by the way, will often tell their friends something that they won't tell their parents. Why? If you ask the teenager, they'll say, well, my friends won't come down on me like mom and dad will. My friends will just let me be me, right? And so, What's true of human relationships is true of our relationship with God. The nature of our relationship will determine how we talk to him. Okay, A.W. Tozer puts it this way. He says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So today, I want to highlight just one aspect, one character trait One quality of God that's really, really important when it comes to prayer. God's many things. There are tons of adjectives that we could use to describe God, but there's one that's critical when it comes to prayer, and that's God's goodness. God, one of the things that we affirm is that God is good. If God isn't good, there's no reason to pray. There really isn't. Uh, there's no motivation to pray. Why would you take time to talk to somebody who didn't come through when you could come through for you when you were seven? Why would you bother to talk to somebody uh, who you feel blesses everyone but you? And so, the nature of our relationship determines. Uh, something about our prayer life a lot of people will say to me well max when, you know look i don't pray enough but that's just because i'm there's like varsity christians and they pray every day i'm just the jv like you know i'm on the bench i'm on the team i cheer right but you know prayer's just not my thing and and i would say to that well n- no i think if you knew how much god loved you if you knew how good god was you'd get off the bench And so I wanna make a case for that today. I'm married and I get how this works, right? When I'm convinced that Jenny isn't pulling her weight at home, when I'm convinced and have convinced myself that Jenny's nagging me or that Jenny is judging me and not saying anything, can I just tell you, it's really hard to love her. It's really hard to love her. But when I see how amazing Jenny is, when I see how self-sacrificing she is for me and my family, when I see how courageous she is, it's actually kinda easy to love her. I don't have to try really hard at all, all right? So here's my bottom line today, in in case you doze off. If you don't believe in the goodness of God, if you don't believe in the goodness of God, prayer is going to be a struggle. If you don't believe in the goodness of God, prayer is gonna be a struggle. When you pray, who are you talking to anyway? Who are you talking to? So I wanna return to a passage from the Gospel of John, uh, John chapter 10. We, We were in this a couple of years ago and I wanna return to this passage because we get a glimpse of the kind of person that Jesus is from John chapter 10. All right, and so we're gonna pick it up, John 10, and we're gonna go through this verse by verse, John 1 through 18. I tell you the truth, this is Jesus speaking, anyone who sneaks over the wall of a sheepfold rather than going through the gate must surely be a thief and a robber. But the one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep recognize his voice and come to him. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. After he has gathered his own flock, he walks ahead of them and they follow him because they know his voice. They won't follow a stranger. They'll run from him because they don't know his voice. Jesus is talking about sheep and shepherds. Now in the Old Testament, the leaders of of Israel and the priests were often depicted as shepherds. Only they didn't live up to what they were supposed to be. In Ezekiel, God levels this charge against them. And he says, this is the message that came to me from the Lord. Son of man, prophesy against these shepherds, the leaders of Israel. Give them this message. What sorrow awaits you shepherds who feed yourselves instead of your flocks? Shouldn't shepherds feed their sheep? Oh, you drink milk, wear the wool, and butcher the best animals, but you let your flocks starve. You've not taken care of the weak. You've not tended the sick or bound up the injured. You've not gone looking out for those who have wandered away and are lost, and instead you've ruled them with harshness and cruelty. Does God sound mad? This is a question, does God sound mad? Yes. (laughs) This gets his goat up, right, to use another animal thing. But so because they weren't living up to it, God says this later on in that same chapter. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will search and find my sheep. I will be like a shepherd looking for a scattered flock. I will find them and rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on that dark and cloudy day. I'll bring them home to their own land. I'll feed them. Yes, I'll give them good pasture land on the high hills. They'll lie down in pleasant places. What does this sound like? Psalm 23, right? This is God saying, I'm going to step in. Uh, I will bandage the injured and strengthen the weak. I will destroy those who are fat and powerful. I will feed them, yes, feed them justice. So, this is kind of the background of what Jesus is saying in John chapter 10. So, he's talking about sheep and shepherds and this word right here, sheepfold, right? Let me explain how that works. Here's a sheepfold. Um, and what I think Jesus is describing in John chapter 10 would have been in town somewhere. Uh, It would have had walls and a narrow little opening, and different families in town would have shared the sheep pen, and so there would have been sheep from different flocks in that common pen together. So you come in, and when you go in, boom, there's one person at the gate that makes sure nobody can get in and hurt the sheep. No predators, um, and so that's a sheep pen. Uh, now in the morning, in the morning, each family would send their, their boy or their shepherd out to call their particular family's sheep out of the pen. And one of the weird things about it, and, and this is true to this day, shepherd you know max the shepherd goes in and i do my call meka leka hi ho and then my sheep come out my sheep come out cuz they know that's my little phrase and then i lead and they follow me blah 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 and then someone else comes along maybe it's pastor uh, shepherd bob and shepherd bob shows up and he goes and he's got his own little shepherd call and they follow Bob and the same thing would be true with Don and Carol and anyone else who went and called their sheep. Ken Bailey writes this, he says, when a new family buys a sheep from others, man, it takes a while. At first, the other sheep follow, but not the new one. The new one stays behind agitated until it can be trained. It simply will not follow an unfamiliar voice. In this picture, in this illustration, Jesus is the shepherd, and we're the sheep. He knows and cares for the sheep, and the sheep know him and trust him. So then Jesus goes on, and now he uses another picture, and this is what he says. Uh, Those who heard Jesus use this illustration didn't understand, so he explained it. I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me were thieves and robbers, but the true sheep didn't listen to them. No, I I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and will find good pastures. The thief's purpose is to steal, steal, kill, and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Huh, wait a minute, Jesus, you just said you were the shepherd. Now you're the gate? Oh my goodness, you're confusing me. Well, Jesus isn't just a shepherd. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He's saying he's the way in and out of God's family. He's the portal, so to speak. As the sheep would come into the pen at, at dusk, one of the things the shepherd would do at the opening to the sheep pen is with their rod, they would lift up the neck, they would look over the sheep to make sure there weren't any wounds, to make sure the sheep was fine I'm not a sheep expert, but I actually did geeky research because that's what Max does. I want to learn about sheep. I'm preaching about sheep. Tell me about what can I learn about sheep? I didn't know this, but they manufacture this. They produce this thing called lanolin, which kind of helps them ward off disease and some other things, and it's it's a very useful product, but you can get too much lanolin on, as a sheep, and it's a problem for you, so that's one of the things a shepherd does. And so that's the on, predators Predators can't get to the sheep once they're in the sheep pen. You're safe from predators. Now thieves, on the other hand, that's an entirely different story. A thief will actually go over the wall. And will a sheep follow an unfamiliar voice? No. So do you know what a thief has to do to get a sheep? Slit its throat. Because the sheep's not going to go willingly with anybody trying to take it blah, 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 okay, it's gonna, so thieves are bad, right? And Jesus is saying, I'm the gate here, all right? And he goes on, verses 11 and following. He says it, and he really brings out what he's saying. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep a hired hand will run when he sees a wolf coming. He'll abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him and he isn't their shepherd. And so the wolf attacks them and scatters the flock. The hired hand runs away because he's working only for money and doesn't really care about the sheep. Jesus isn't like the false leaders of Israel, the Pharisees, the God squad. See, in the, in the chapter before this one, there's a man who was born blind. He didn't do anything wrong. His parents didn't do anything wrong. He was just born blind and Jesus healed him and it upset the God squad. And so here is somebody who was sick and injured, so to speak, someone who should have been taken care of by shepherds and do you know what the Pharisees did to that that man who was healed? They threw him out of the synagogue. They were like, "We're." We're excommunicating you from community. You're out, boom. Bad shepherds. And so that's very much in Jesus' mind when he's saying this, he's saying, I'm not like them, I go after the wounded. Uh, I'm not in it for money. I will lay down my life for my sheep. I will protect, guide, and defend them, even if it means giving up my own life. Now, in this metaphor, in this illustration, Jesus is the shepherd, we're the sheep, Who are the predators? Who are the predators? Do you know? I want to offer a suggestion. In your head are many voices. One of them is the voice of the good shepherd, and then there are other voices, destructive voices. I know well some of these destructive voices. Who are you to do that? Who are you to do that? That's a voice that comes up. Who are you to start that blog? Who are you to become a vet? Who are you to think you can get out of debt? Who are you to think your marriage is going to make it? Who are you to do that? Um, Another voice you're too late. You're too late to make it up. You're too late to make things right. It's gone. You're so stupid. You're so fat. You're so unlikable. You're so worthless. Those are voices, right? When you've been wronged by somebody, when somebody's hurt you, there's another voice that will speak up. Oh, they meant to do that. That's how they really feel about you. They don't care about you. And this plays in our heads. Where do these destructive voices come from? I'll tell you where they don't come from. Jesus! He doesn't speak to his sheep that way. Jesus doesn't say those things. Jesus is the good shepherd and he says my sheep know my voice and we'll get into that in a minute but he highlights it what is he offering my purpose is to give them what a rich and satisfying life that's what Jesus is wanting to give his sheep and he goes on verses 14 and following I am the good shepherd he says it again I know my own sheep and they know me, just as my Father knows me, and I know the Father. So I sacrifice my life for the sheep. I have other sheep, too, that aren't in this sheepfold. I must bring them in also. They'll listen to my voice, and they'll be one flock with one shepherd. The Father loves me because I sacrifice my life so that I may take it back again. No one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily, for I have the authority to lay it down when I want and to take it up again, for this is what my Father has commanded, huh, other sheep, like what, more, yes, Jesus is gonna call out sheep from every tribe and every nation, it's not just the Jews, it's not just the Israelites, it's the Gentiles, it's the Romans, it's the Asians, the Americans, the Africans, it's every tribe, every nation, he's gonna call sheep from all over into one flock, and there are a couple of important things here that I wanna draw out, just as my father knows me and I know the father. There's this connection that Jesus is drawing. And and what he's saying is, I cannot be oblivious to you and your needs any more than my father would be oblivious to me, his one and only son. The other thing he's saying is in verse 18 no one can take my life from me, I sacrifice it voluntarily. This shepherd carries not a crook but a cross. This shepherd doesn't just lead to pastures and meadows but offers body and blood. This is a good shepherd. This man, Jesus, is a good man and a good shepherd because he lays down his life for his sheep. That's who you're talking to when you're praying. That kind of person. So when we're talking about prayer, something you gotta settle is, Who exactly is Jesus? Who is he? What kind of person is he? What kind of leader is he? How does Jesus use authority? By the way, that's why there's a disconnect right now in politics and in in the world, in the business world. Because the leaders in those areas, right, have enriched themselves off the backs typically of others. And It's common. You'll read about a company where the bonuses go out to the highest people in the company and on the same day, they'll announce they're closing a plant and 700 people are now out of work. And we have a visceral response to that, don't we? It doesn't matter whether you're a Republican or a Democrat. You're like, that's wrong, right? The reason you feel that way is because you have this sense of justice and because a leader, a good leader, a good shepherd puts the people above their own needs. So what kind of person is Jesus? And secondly, if prayer is a conversation, what kind of person are you talking to? What kind of person are you talking to? It matters because it affects how you talk to them. How can you take this home, right? One thing I would suggest is, if, if you struggle with the goodness of God, read the gospels and i would i would read the gospel of luke over and over again with a lens of questions because one of the things that christians affirm is we say that jesus is god don't ask me to explain it jesus is god we claim that right and we believe that and that's true and so when jesus is doing something God is doing something. When Jesus responds to someone, God is responding to that person. When Jesus intervenes, God is intervening, right? So we get a very clear picture of the kind of God that God is because of Jesus. So read the Gospels. And again, I would, I would, I would camp out in Luke, the Gospel of Luke. Um, what kind of person is Jesus? Uh, how does he treat people? How does he respond to cries for help? And that's gonna in, inform your picture. The second is, listen for the voice of Jesus. The voice of Jesus is going to sound like the Jesus in the Gospels. And yes, there will be, there will be affirmation, but there will also be correction um, let, let's test out your discernment for a minute. Let me, let me list off some voices that I've had just in the last 30 days and, and we'll vote about whether this is the voice of the good shepherd or not, right? Here's one voice. I, there was something I didn't do one week and I felt really bad about it and this was the voice. Max, you're such a terrible pastor. You suck. Voice of the good shepherd? No, okay? Okay. Um, another, uh, another aspect, uh, there was something I needed to get done and I forgot and I was like, man, I'm so stupid voice of the good shepherd. Oh, you're look at you. You seem pretty, cl- conv- you seem pretty like you, the look on your faces is like, duh, <laughs> duh. <laughs> this isn't rocket science. Duh. Okay. So, uh, another thing, uh, Max, I'm with you in this voice of the good shepherd. Oh, you seem pretty sure about that one too. Uh, There was somebody that our relationship was out of whack. um, And, and, and so I had this voice in my head. You should talk to him. You so need to talk to him, call him, call him. And there's a part of me that didn't want to, but that was the voice voice of the good shepherd. Oh man. So maybe it isn't as hard as we make it out to be. Listen for the voice of Jesus. And then lastly, remember that God gives you what you need, not what you deserve. In, in the Old Testament, David, the king of Israel, does something despicable. He should be off at war. He's up on the rooftops. He sees this woman. He takes her. He has sex with her. And then because he can't get her husband to come back and, and have a, spend a night with her, he has her husband killed. Just Despicable in that moment did david deserve god's mercy no did he deserve to be forgiven no but it's what he needed god gives us what we need and not what we deserve and that's really really good god is uh the thing is with a lot of us when when we hurt somebody, uh, when we sin against them, uh, do they tend to forgive quickly and, and, and let us back into their lives easily? No, it's bumpy. God's not like people in that way. God's better than people. How do I know this is true? Well, uh, I know this is true because I've been wrong about people. When I started off in college, I started off a music major, and the second year, I became a Bible major. And we had a man who had just gotten a a New Testament degree, uh, studied with F.F. Bruce in England. Um, He was a New Testament scholar. He had been a lumberjack until God had gotten a hold of him. Bob Yarbrough is his name. And Bob Yarbrough would get a haircut uh, either once or twice a year, I can't remember. And it was always a big deal because he would just grow it really, really wrong, and then all of a sudden it was gone. And it was just his lumberjack ways. And so I was so excited. Everybody would talk about, oh man, Dr. Yarbrough, oh man, Dr. Yarbrough, oh man, Dr. Yarbrough. And so I was so excited to be in my first New Testament criticism class with him. And I really worked hard on this paper. And I put in, I just burned the candle at both ends. I geeked out on all the research. I mean, I just went all out for this paper. And then I got it back. And at the top of the paper was D, D is in David, D minus, D minus. I had never gotten a grade that low in my entire life, and here I am in college. And then the first two words at the top of the paper: gratuitous gossip. In that in that season of my life, like if you, what kind of man is Bob Yarborough? What kind of guy is Bob Yarbrough? I had some some things I would tell you. Thankfully, I went into his office with a good dose of humility, which I don't always have, but I try to. And in that day, I had some good humility. And I, I said, what could I do to make this paper better? And he helped me. And sure enough, when it was all done and I worked my tail off some more, I I managed to get a B. I was thinking, surely I'll get an A. No. (laughs) Fast forward a year and a half, two years later, I'm, I'm fascinated by this woman named Jenny. And I think I like her and I think she likes me and it's complicated because I had been committed to not getting into any relationship with any girl or any woman and I'm laying this out with guess who bob yarborough and bob yarborough says to me do you like her well yeah you know what he said kiss her then kiss her what are you waiting for kiss her let her know you love her let her know you like her she needs to have some indicators bob yarborough is bob yarborough a scoundrel no as it turns out bob yarborough helped me to be a much better person in terms of writing papers I learned some things, I grew because of Bob Yarbrough. And as it turns out, Bob Yarborough is a pretty decent fellow. I was wrong at first, right? If you don't believe in the goodness of God, prayer is gonna be a struggle. I want you to know who you're talking to when you talk to God, it matters, because who you're talking to affect, the nature of the relationship affects how you talk to them.